If you're a fan of this podcast and want to see it continue, help support us on Patreon, where you can unlock tons of exclusive content, including, but not limited to, movie commentaries, ad-free versions of our promo specials, extended cuts, early access to new episodes, behind-the-scenes clips, first access to merchandise, blooper reels, and even a chance to vote on what we cover next on our podcaster's disassembled episodes. Just head right on over to patreon.com slash podcastersassemble. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash podcastersassemble. Link in the show notes. Directed by Marion C. Cooper and Ernest B. Schoedzak, this 1933 classic starring Faye Ray as Anne Darrow and Robert Armstrong as Carl Denham wowed audiences around the world with an epic score by Max Steiner and revolutionary special effects by Willis O'Brien, which inspired generations of filmmakers for decades to come. As we follow an expedition to a mysterious island where they discover a giant ape known as King Kong, the eighth wonder of the world. Kong, the eighth wonder of the world! Wild, weird, wonderful. The stuff for which movies were made. Adventure to make you wonder if it's true, while your eyes convince you that it is. Calling all podcasters. Calling all podcasters. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special bulletin. Reporting live from the We Can Make This Work, probably podcast network. We are receiving reports of, well, what can only be described as a gigantic ape rampaging through the streets of New York City. Wait. No, wait. This just in. According to our overseas correspondents, there's been a confirmed sighting of a massive reptilian creature off the coast of Japan. Oh, the humanity! If you have any information regarding these two Goliath monsters or their film franchises, please record on your dictaphone and post or telegraph your audio transmission to us at probablywork.com. Over the next seven weeks, we will be reviewing some of the biggest films in kaiju cinema. Please, please hurry. Time is running out. We've just been told that the mayor is evacuating the city and the president dispatching military forces. I don't know how to describe what I'm looking at, dear listeners. The the gorilla is snaring its teeth and banging on its chest in what seems to be, I don't know, a show of strength defending this territory. They appear to be squaring off. Oh, oh, jeez. This is it, people. The battle of the century. It's Zilla versus Kong. A fire-breathing lizard takes on the giant angry ape. In this, a no-holds-barred clash between the King of the Monsters and the Titan of Skull Island. Who will come out on top? Why are they fighting? How did that monkey get so big? Find out on the latest season of Podcasters Symbol, Kongzillathon! Podcasters Assemble! Yo, this is Corey from The World Is My Burrito. Hello, I'm Robert Kelly, host and writer of Record All Monsters. This is Gabe Thomas from every Marvel movie ever and every DC movie ever. This is Troidal Power from the Power Playthroughs podcast. Eric Slater here from Epic Fails of History and Too Young for this trek. My name is Stephen White. I am one of the co-hosts of the Super Mega Crash Brothers Turbo podcast where we talk about video games. Hi, this is Justin Aki, graphic designer and one half of Significant Otter Co. Hey, this is Chris Carroll from the Comic Zombie Podcast, and we are here today to talk about 1933's King Kong. 1933's King Kong. And these are my thoughts on 1933's King Kong. What you are about to watch is the movie that spawned the movie that made monster movies great again. 
It was a long time before I actually saw King Kong. This is my first time seeing this movie. The first time I remember seeing this film was, I couldn't tell you an exact date. The first time I saw that particular film, it was the summer before I started fourth grade, and we were visiting my recently divorced uncle. His apartment was very beige, and the only TV was in his bedroom. He let me and my older sisters watch TV there while he and my parents caught up in the living room. As we were flipping through the channels and his enormous satellite TV program, we shot past a movie I knew on sight was King Kong. Uh, it's been a long time. I remember it kind of being on the background as a kid. I feel like I'd known enough about it in passing. Despite never having seen it before, I begged my sisters to stop and watch it. It seemed to surprise them that I hadn't seen it yet. I'd been a fan of monster movies since I was three years old, and Godzilla was particularly dear to my heart. So how have I had not seen the original King Kong? Uh, I mean, I've seen the 1977 version before. I'd even seen the Dino De Laurentiis version from the 70s. And watched this, it felt like old home. But I always remember being fascinated by it. Even being in black and white, it was just this sense of awe and wonder about this giant ape uh and then the obvious hints of of uh of a land of the lost situation recognizing the importance of this movie to me my sisters by a vote of two to three agreed that we would watch king kong and it was wonderful so i think one of the first things worth noting is that that this movie was created in 1933 if you had asked me to gamble i would have put money on godzilla predating king kong but apparently this movie in 1933 is the start of the big monster movies that's right i can't believe this movie is almost 90 years old actually yeah pushing 90 that's crazy this was in the middle of the great depression and it was only six years after the first film was sound in 1927, The Jazz Singer. Shockingly, holds up really well. I just rewatched it for the first time in probably 20 years. It's also one of the first motion pictures with stop-motion animation integrated into live-action footage. What a lot of people might not know about this, just because of the age of it, is a ton of the techniques on display in this film were invented for this film. I mean, this movie let special effects forward tremendously. This movie was the first of the major monster pictures, the first talkie to receive a full theatrical score. It, it was kind of one of those where it's like, there's so many parodies and so many references and like visual illusions and other entertainment. And it, I'd never seen it before. I knew, you know, I know the image of King Kong on top of the Empire State Building holding the lady. Like, that image is burning in my brain, but I don't think it's the one from this movie necessarily. I don't think I've even seen anything of this movie. It was all brand new to me. It's one of those that I didn't feel like I needed to see for a while, because I kind of just gathered all the beats from all these other movies that had referenced the Empire State Building climb or the dinosaurs. And I mean, the tropes are real, and if you haven't seen this movie, you've seen it parodied, referenced, everything. It's been around. I love monster movies, so it's weird to me that I didn't see it until so much later but yeah it was probably only a year or two ago that i actually sat down and watched it and while the film is very much a product of its time and socially or culturally uh, unfortunately it hasn't aged very well with you know all the rampant misogyny and blatant racism that said this movie also is groundbreaking in a number of ways you know it's obviously a product of its time but it's fantastic there's a lot of symbolism in here that could in worse hands with made by filmmakers who had worse agendas it could have looked pretty bad 
<laughs> but it doesn't. It's it's it completely holds up in terms of its protagonist and its creature effects. That's why it's a classic movie. And despite it almost being a hundred years old, the stop motion effects, uh, especially in the later half of the movie, are really genuinely good. And it's still surprisingly a very entertaining movie. I always I was always fascinated with Kong, which. I, I never really could understand. Godzilla was always there as well. And and between the two, I know there were always more Godzilla movies than Kong movies. But Kong was always the one that, that caught my interest. And, and I still to this day haven't quite figured out the, the impetus behind that. This movie is so old. I don't know what everyone else watched, but mine has a four minute overture before the title sequence even starts. So old it had a four minute overture to let people in the theater and relax from their day before they watched a movie. A talkie. And I will take this moment to say that the score for this film is phenomenal. And there's definitely a lot of love put into it. There are a lot of scenes that could not exist properly if not for the detail put into the sound in that scene. So after the musical overture, we're given this awesome Art Deco style credit sequence. But the opening credits are fantastic and that typeface is gorgeous. As far as uh, characters in the movie uh, that, that I kind of enjoyed, I mean, obviously Kong is a character in his own right, wouldn't you say? Of course, Kong is the star of the show, even if Robert Armstrong and Bruce Cabot and Fay Ray are all built above him. Followed by an Arabian proverb. And the prophet said, And lo, the beast looked upon the face of beauty, and it stayed its hand from killing, and from that day it was as one dead. And lo, the beast looked upon the face of beauty, and it stayed its hand from killing, and from that day it was as one dead. Old Arabian proverb. And then cut to the first character we see is a drunk sailor. We get a glimpse of Chekhov's giant gas bombs. I think that the the age of this movie is apparent. I mean, it's black and white, so obviously it's apparent. But the special effects are, they date it. They do. But honestly, I think the acting dates it more than the special effects do. Every person, though, is basically impersonating an old-timey strongman or hawker. I can't take it seriously. And then a room full of men complaining about making a woman the star of the movie, which is kind of meta. Something I love about older films and what coincides with the Pan-American accent is that there's almost no breathing room in the dialogue. In the first three minutes, there's like more dialogue than any Lord of the Rings movie. And if you want a real experience, watch it at one and a half times speed. My least favorite person is everyone. And specifically Denim. I or. Denim, is that his name? We can't ignore the above-mentioned human characters, and the one of the most deserving of praise, in my opinion, is Robert Armstrong's Carl Denim. Yeah, Denim. Uh, Carl Denim was always the one that I, I, I'd even say he's kind of grown on me over the years. The, uh, the filmmaker who's out to, to try and make a moving picture of, of the, the, the King of the Monsters, I don't know. He has, I feel, the best line in the film. Listen. I'm going out and make the greatest picture in the world. Something that nobody's ever seen or heard of. You'll have to think of a lot of new adjectives when I come back. And captures a sense of awe and wonder in his performance, making it hard for us to realize that he really is the antagonist by the time he declares Kong to be the eighth wonder of the world. I hated him. I could not stand the way he acted. The eccentricity of the character, uh, his, his goal uh, of what he's after in the movie, he's always been a fascinating character to me. 
and even more so in, in Son of Kong, he actually kind of drives that movie, if you will. I mean, if it wasn't for him, I don't even think that movie would be watchable. I love all these old school shots of New York. We get to see 1930s Times Square. Goofiest moment. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's just because I haven't seen it in a while, but I feel like when you when you talk about ridiculous moments in some of these monster movies, there's so many that stand out. I mean, all of of Godzilla versus Megagyrus is pretty ridiculous, or Godzilla versus Megalon. Really, Godzilla versus the Mega Monsters are are where things start to fall apart. But this movie is mostly pretty serious i could seriously see maybe there's some cheap 30s-esque dialogue that's like oh you know just just oh what, what are these broads doing here or whatever but you know, who cares about that that's yeah it doesn't it's the time it doesn't date it at all it really feels like stepping into a time capsule i think you can watch this whenever So for this style of film, for this aesthetic, the way the lenses look, the way the lighting looks, for it being black and white, I love the reveal of Fay Ray's face. I think Andero is a surprisingly strong protagonist for being, you know, Fay Ray in 1933. This scene where Denim's picking up Darrow is so cringy. <laughs> Director Carl Denham literally goes to a women's boarding house to troll on the down on your luck person. Man, Carl Denham is picking on the destitute, but he knows where to get what he wants by going to that women's mission. This is one step above sex slavery. I like kind of the humor of how Anne Darrow confuses her unknown savior's advances as a want to do, like, porn or something questionable in film. There's so many red flags here. And he was a despicable character as well with how he recruited Anne to be in his movie. But just the acting on him felt cheesy. And I think what it is, actually is that he was doing a better job of acting how actors were supposed to act in a 1933 movie than the rest of the cast was. But the rest of the cast ended up feeling more natural because they weren't acting. But it's like so naive and innocent that it's kind of comical. I'm on the level. No funny business. No. Some of the guys take over and help her out and sometimes she falls off of something and the men have to save her or whatever. Fay Ray does a, a decent job, but she is the classic damsel in distress in the film. But for the 30s, she's pretty secure and funny and genuinely talented. I will say Andero is pretty great in this and her costumes are awesome. And, you know, she's, she's serviceable, but Carl Denham... He's always he's always kind of been the guy that I go to. And it's really nice to see because so often these 30s female protagonists is just like they're only there as either eye candy or to be saved by the strong male characters. So it's it's really wonderful that it's like you go back to this movie and it's not super problematic on top of everything because it could be it easily could be. And then getting on the boat where she kind of meets all these random characters. I've never been on a ship before. Yeah, well, I've never been on a ship with a woman before. Uh, apparently, uh, this ship is a sausage fest. The first time Andero and Jack Driscoll talk, I realize he is the original Han Solo. As far as characters I don't really like, the uh, the main protagonist, who's uh, Jack Driscoll, which I actually had to dig that out of my head. I don't know why I almost forgot his name. In this movie, he's he's... I understand it's a product of the times. It's 1933, but he just, in today's standards, he comes off, you know, just like, well, women don't belong on the boats. And I don't know. It's just, it's a very outdated character trope, but I do understand. I do get it. 
but uh, it's just he's he's kind of an old hat at this point. So he I don't really care for him all that much, including uh, someone. <laughs> oh God. Oh no! The oh, dude. His name is Charlie, and when we meet him, he's peeling potatoes, and he's supposed to be Chinese. This this Fu Manchu guy is really uncomfortable. Um, if that guy's Chinese, I am Chinese, and it is incredibly. I'm just gonna go and say racist. <laughs> it's really bad. Yeesh. Um, I, you know, I could do an impression of it for an hour and laugh the whole time, but it's it's really bad. So I'm just going to leave it alone and just kind of half give it a pass just as a product of the time. It's not excusable, but, you know, it is what it is. You're going to see this stuff in movies made in the 30s, unfortunately. Accounting for the overture, I'm less than 20 minutes in when they finish the scene of Denim filming Darrow. Um... Does this dude have a script or... This is the first sequence that begins to feel unnecessary, but by the end is very telling of things to come. I guess it's a documentary with dramatized reenactments before the events of the movie. I don't know. Man, Fay Ray is so pretty. It doesn't matter if her hair is perfectly done or if it's like messy from the sea. She's just beautiful. Everything about Denim's plan is super, like, hella sketch. Why didn't Driscoll get the camera ready before standing six foot out in the open? I love how calmly Denim talks about the rhino charging his cameraman. The way Denim describes the wall on Skull Island and its caretakers reminds me a lot of Call of Cthulhu, which was only released five years prior. Ugh. Spending like six weeks in that boat would have killed me. Even if the Panama Canal was the way they got to the South China Seas, that's still a hike. So the ship encounters a massive cloud of fog on their way to um, Skull Island. And they hear ominous drums in the distance. I will say the pacing in this movie is pretty good for 1933. Uh, one thing I did notice, it's kind of hard not to notice, is that uh, the plot's really slow to get going. Once it gets going, it's it, you know it's pretty... Uh, I'm not going to say Pedals of the Floor or anything like that, but it moves pretty quickly. But they don't get to um, Skull Island, or I guess Skull Mountain, uh, for the first 30 minutes of the film. I mean, it's 30 minutes of uh, uh, of the director approaching uh, Faye Ray's character and selling her on the idea of his next big picture. It's definitely dated with, you know, all the blatant misogyny and unfortunate racism, but it moves. I, I can't say that there's really any slow parts. Once they get to Skull Mountain and they meet the indigenous people there who are, are about to sacrifice a girl to, as the bride of Kong. Oh boy, the natives. I don't know if this is as offensive as the, the Indians and Peter Pan, but it's pretty, um, it feels pretty bad. The tribe is, is fascinated by Anne and her blonde hair. They've never, presumably never seen uh, any white people, much less uh, a white woman with blonde hair. Um, are those, are those dancers in blackface? The natives on the island, however, while racist caricatures, were at least played by African-American actors, so that's good. I feel, I feel like these guys are in blackface. The film crew and the sailor's presence interrupts the ceremonies. Film crew shows up and, um, <laughs> the tribe sees them and everything goes quiet. And Denim just says, 
Too late. They see us. Thank you, Captain Obvious. The idea is they're going to come back the next day and uh, kind of try to win these guys over so they don't mean any harm. Anywho, so back on the boat, we have one of the funniest, like, forced romance scenes I've ever seen. I think when Jack says, hey, I guess I love you. What? That's probably my favorite line, because it's kind of great. There's, like, no build-up to it whatsoever. Jack Driscoll is an ass who constantly puts down Andero. But, I mean, is completely in love with her. It's like, and this was before Casablanca, but you have that big speech at the end of that movie, and it's elegant, and it's beautiful, and I can quote it all day long. Just out of nowhere, he says, I love you. But Jack, you hate women. I suppose so. And then next thing you know, they're kissing. Well, that escalated quickly. And Andero is basically a battered woman, and immediately shows he loves abusing Jack. But then you just have this, like, subversion before it was even a thing where the guy's just like yeah i i love you because i feel like i have to and that's kind of messed up and that's why i think it's great and then the natives immediately kidnap her so they're very fascinated by her so in the middle of the night they send out a bunch of like little skiffs they jump on the boat and they take her captive because of course they do it's in the script actually my favorite person in this is the captain because he's old he's probably some colonel in the war or something he speaks multiple languages He's just trying to do a job there. I think uh, one of the greatest lines is, uh, it's like the night before an election, looking out at the tribal ceremony with the drums. Take her back to the shrine and perform the ceremony to summon Kong. And being uh, tied up definitely has some uh, BDSM overtones. Which is actually really cool. The Again, the production value in this movie is just uh, through the roof. Especially if you like old movies and you've seen a bunch of stuff that came out in the early 30s. I promise you, it's nothing like this. This is insane. This wall is very Temple of Doom. The matte paintings in this are on point. So far as immersive movie experiences go, only The Wizard of Oz had ever engulfed me so completely before. I mean, for such an old movie, it's insane that Kong looks incredible. I think the best monster is the terrible Kong. But there's something like a humanity in Kong. And we see it from the very first image of his grim, grinning visage leering over the tree line at Andaro to the last pleading, soulful glance he has of her as he loses his grip on the world's tallest building. Like, I don't think that design has been perfected since that film. It's like someone had only heard about the description of a gorilla and made a model of that. And uh, you look at other stuff that came out around the same time, I mean, hell, even 10, 15 years later, and this just runs circles around it. It's phenomenal. Really, the special effects as a whole held up in this pretty damn well. You know, I definitely respect the special effects in this movie. Except for the first moment you see King Kong. The goofiest damn moment is the first time that Kong shows up on screen. I about died. When he's coming out of the bushes to, to get in, he just looked cheesy as hell obviously there are some silly moments in there uh throughout the entire movie the close-up on kong's face is probably <laughs> the, the most bizarre he literally looks terrible but i understand what they were trying to do like a melted wax and dog first model i don't think anyone can really judge the way kong looks maybe it's just because i hadn't like mentally prepared myself for what it was going to look like but he looked like the bumble or whatever that abominable snowman is called in the rudolph movie it just looked it just looked bad they did do a great job of comping him into the scenes he was in but i mean there's only so much you can say obviously there's moments where the hands look weird or the eyes don't quite work right 
for for what it is, it is a product of its times. But it's also, if you really think about it, this is like the godfather of of monster movies. But it's pretty flawless. So I watched the 1963 Godzilla vs. Kong before this and can confirm that Willis O'Brien's stop motion here is better than the Kong suitmation 30 years later. These stop motion creatures are phenomenal. Especially since it's so old and you look at it and it's just like everyone working on this knew exactly what this was supposed to look like and they did it. I've always loved stop motion. In fact, when I was in, I want to say middle school, I used to try to create stop motion animations with uh, my Star Wars action figures. Man, I wish I still had those. So Kong shows up, he sees her and just like the, the tribe, he's like, what? And so he just picks her up and takes her off with him. Once the sailors and the film crew realize this, that Anne's been taken, they storm up the beach and then they, they get through the gate and they go chasing after uh, Anne and Kong to rescue her. The first sighting of a dinosaur in this movie is awesome. Dude, it's a stegosaurus. Uh, It's something from the dinosaur family. You sound so smart, Driscoll. I didn't know dinosaurs were in this movie when I started watching it. This island is like the most dangerous place in the world. I mean, when you get there, you see there's pterodactyls flying around. And I love that like, they don't really, not really bothered by that. Uh, I, I, I did, like I said, I didn't know much about this. I had no idea there were dinosaurs on Skull Island. So anyway, they, they, the first thing they encounter is a stegosaurus and they just blast the shit out of it. Uh, they shoot it a bunch of times, throw some bombs at it, and, and kill it, or at least knock it out. With all these cool dinosaurs, why don't they just bring a dinosaur back to New York? That's, like, way cooler than a big angry monkey. No offense, Kong. It actually got revealed for me in our Discord chat just before I got to this part of the movie, which was unfortunate. But the uh, the film crew and, and the sailors are all sneaking through the jungle, and they see uh, a stegosaurus up ahead of them. And the way that the projection was done on this was Fantastic. One of the coolest moments was the rear projection scenes featuring dinosaurs. Sure, the dinosaurs were terrible looking, but the walking scene with the big ass stegosaurus was pretty good. As they're approaching the stegosaurus, it looked so, so good. Like, this was a movie changing technology. And then it looks so cheesy when they knock the thing out and suddenly they're walking by it and it's like, it's like 50 feet long. And one of the my favorite things in this movie is um, the film tricks they use. Like, for instance, when that is that the stegosaurus is down, the guys are walking past it. And rather than just keeping it in the background on the drop screen, they, they zoom in on it with like a closer image of the miniature or whatever they did. I'm not really sure. But it really gives scale. So as these guys are walking, you know, across the foreground, the background is slowly panning as well. So you realize like how massive this thing is. They made the stegosaurus way too big on the scene where they walked by it. It's really well done. Which I think they nailed in 1939's Wizard of Oz. But between the matte glass paintings they used for the multi-exposure scenes and the great rear projection, this movie was great for showing off new to them technology. The next thing they do is they come across like some uh, water, some marsh area, I guess. So they build a raft Zooming across that, and uh, the next dinosaur they run into is like, <laughs> it's kind of funny, but uh, it's a brachiosaur, a brontosaur. Is that is that the Loch Ness monster? Did did they just shoot the Loch Ness monster? I have always loved that brontosaur reveal. It's so mysterious and like you can't see anything, and it's so perfectly shot. And to this day, it's still really cool. The worst monster in this one is the man-eating brontosaurus. I like that outside of King Kong himself, the creature with the highest body count in this movie seems to be a brontosaurus. 
so many things to start on there. The herbivore. And this thing is like pissed that they're there. And despite the fact that it's an herbivore, it's out for f***ing blood. Who just goes ham and like eats a whole bunch of people. I don't know if they realized that brontosauruses uh, were herbivores. The animation on that one was better than Kong, but it's still ridiculous. And uh, it flips their boat, trashes their raft, and separates a bunch of people. And these guys just scatter and they're panicked. And this one guy, it kind of like focuses on him. So he's hauling ass. He's trying to get away. And this idiot, he decides that the best way to get away from this giant long-necked creature is to climb a dead tree. Uh, so, you know, he kind of gets what's coming to him. But it's it's kind of messed up because his, his death is kind of prolonged. Um, it doesn't just snatch him right away. It's kind of snapping at him and trying to get to him. And he's just screaming in terror. And then when it does grab him, his scream goes up. So the volume goes up on it and the octaves go higher. Like he's screaming both in terror, of course, and in agony. And it's, it goes on for a few seconds before, you know, he dies. Huh. Well, that went well. Uh, and I remember just being like, Jesus. Remember, I just finished it not long ago, but was surprised at the level of uh, violence in it. Also love that the brontosaur is so aggressive and carnivorous. This movie stereotypes Asians, blacks, and dinosaurs in the worst way. There was you no know, technological limitations that they had to deal with because they were just so competent and confident in how they wanted it to look. And it looks incredible. And then um, as the guys that remain catch up to Kong, he kind of hears them coming. He sets Anne up in this giant dead tree and he charges back. And these guys are trying to cross this um, ravine using a fallen tree. I think the coolest uh, mix of practical and special effects is where the the crew is trying to like climb across a log that's over a ravine. And Kong shows up and picks up the log and is like twisting it back and forth. But it's all it's rear projector. Like, I don't know how they did this. It looks so good having Kong shake this tree around and the guys falling off of it. Man, this movie is brutal. All those guys falling to their deaths, we see each one hitting the ground with a thud. And when Kong sees them, they all run back and they're they're kind of stuck on the tree when he grabs it and starts shaking it. And when he does that, these guys start falling off one at a time. And it's not just like they fall off camera. It shows the bottom of the, the ravine or the, the chasm. And you hear these guys screaming just in terror and you see their bodies hit the ground and it is it's pretty awesome i mean if you're like me and you like horror movies and you kind of get a chuckle out of seeing fake characters suffer horrible fates it's it's pretty amusing it's also a little unsettling uh and it's one at a time he doesn't stop till they've all fallen to their deaths except for uh the one guy who's the i guess love interest who smartly climbs down the ravine wall into a cave when he sees Kong coming rather than jump on the log. And that last guy got crushed by the tree. And this place is so... You can't go anywhere in this island without some giant monster trying to kill you in like 30 seconds. While he's in that little alcove, it's not even really a cave, Kong keeps reaching down to try to grab him knowing he's there because Kong isn't stupid. And he smartly pulls out a knife and stabs at Kong's fingers every time he goes to grab him, which Kong pulls back confused like, what the... While he's dealing with this, this giant lizard monster thing is climbing up one of the vines towards him. He notices at the last second, 
cuts the rope, the thing falls, but it kind of gives away his position. And Kong's going to get him, but across back where Kong came from, Anne is freaking out because a freaking Tyrannosaur is coming to kill her. A few years back, I read about a missing sequence from the movie involving giant spiders that was somehow lost. They did phenomenal on this. The special effects, they're just so good. The T-Rex fight. The fight between uh, King Kong and the T-Rex is probably the coolest action scene. And the coolest moment is obviously when Kong fights the dinosaurs, right? The T-Rex was terrible. Her screams draw Kong's attention, leaving the guy alive. And then he goes back to fight the T-Rex and what is really a prolonged, pretty brutal fight. It was squashed. I mean, that's... That's incredible. I I don't think that's been perfected either. I enjoy the Peter Jackson King Kong movie a lot. I mean, we'll get to that. This whole bit where Anne is in the tree and then the tree gets knocked over and then she's hiding behind the tree as Kong and the T-Rex fight is really clever. Throughout the movie, though, there was really good use of that uh, projector special effect so that they could have the the monsters in the background while the the crew was in the foreground but but that scene in particular did a really good job of it i can't imagine how much planning this kind of stuff would have taken the dinosaur fight in that is is like exciting as all hell the moment where uh the tree that Anne is in gets knocked over and so that tree falls like that all just looks super cool i really liked it when you see that fight when you sit down and watch that fight it is still great like that's something i'll look up on youtube often because of that is how epic it is it's 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 incredible it is a giant ape fighting t-rexes that ends with kong just trying over and over to rip this thing's jaws apart uh, it looks like one of the jaw edge uh, the t-rex's right jaw the bottom jaw appears to be like torn out because there's blood all over its neck or maybe that's just where kong was biting it I'm not really sure, but he tries a bunch of times. He's climbing on its back. He's punching it. And finally, he just, while he's trying to rip its jaws open, keeps twisting its neck around till it breaks its neck. <laughs> it's, it's pretty brutal. I love how Kong just like snaps its jaw open and then, then plays with it a little bit. He's like a big child. What the hell? Yes, please. More of that. And the monstrous menagerie of dinosaurs and other prehistoric reptiles he faces off against during their time on Skull Island dazzle almost as much. Kong's cave is awesome. Um, anyway, Kong grabs Anne, takes her back to his, uh, presumably his lair. It's like a giant cave. And this, the, the set design in this movie is pretty mind-blowing considering uh, when it was made. And puts her, he likes going places and putting her on things. It's, just, it's what he's into, I guess. So he goes into the cave system. He puts her up on a, a ledge. Meanwhile, the love interest has, has followed them to this point. So he's in the cave too. So in the cave, uh, Kong fights off a giant salamander. While she can't be up there for 15 seconds before some giant snake-like thing tries to get her. And then uh, when Kong comes over to see what's up, tries to get him. Uh, another fight scene ensues where he eventually grabs it by the tail end and just smashes its head into the ground a few times till it dies. Again, pretty brutal. And then Anne faints again all of these blended scenes with Faye are so good every last one of them um so kong starts undressing Anne. wow that that just happened when he's holding her on the edge of the mountain they have this massive arm prop that is placed behind stop motion kong kong then takes her out onto like a ledge uh, it's, uh i don't know like outside it's outside but it's um i don't know how to describe it it's like a almost like a patio <laughs> and um, 
while he, he sets her out there and they kind of hang out for a little bit. And, and I guess she starts to realize that maybe he's not going to kill her, but you never really get that that far. Kong goes inside for a minute and a ter- pterodactyl comes and starts trying to, to pick her up. And uh, Kong comes out again like, Jesus. And he grabs this thing and starts wrestling with it and biting at it and stuff. The pterodactyl. Kong totally has ADHD confirmed. The love interest guy whose name I'm just blanking on, and I'm sure I'll remember halfway through this recording and be like, Steve! But he uh, uses this opportunity to come and grab Jack. That's it, Jack. So Jack comes and grabs Anne, and they start climbing down a vine on the edge of the cliff patio ledge thing. Uh, about halfway down, because nothing can ever be easy, Kong realizes what's going on and starts pulling the vine back up, like, oh, hell nah. So they're trying to escape down the vine, and Kong's just pulling it back up. Anne starts to fall, so Jack just jumps off. They fall out into the water, almost dying on the way down, because they their dummies or whatever come perilously close to some rocks. They land in the water. Um, they escape Kong momentarily, run back to the gate, reunite with what's left of the film crew. I think the coolest moment in this one for me was uh, the attack on the village when Kong is so upset about um, Anne being stolen that he goes on a rampage through the village. Not when he's in New York, not that village, the village on the island. And then unbeknownst to them, Kong's like just really got it up for this girl and he chases through the woods and and he comes up on the closed gate and starts wrecking through the villagers gate it's just cool there's a lot of really good uh again mixing of the 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 practical and the stop motion effects together killing people right and left eating people throwing stuff clubbing people he grabs like a, a tree just clubs the shit out of some people there's one scene in that where Kong is like standing face to face with this like small tower that some of the tribes people are on and they're like throwing spears at him. And that would just, it all looked pretty dang cool. Man, this is brutal. Kong's just biting people's heads off and shit. Pretty cool. He stomps this guy and like grinds him into the ground like he's putting out a cigarette. And, and seeing Kong just like rip that place apart, he's, you know, grabbing people and eating them and stomping on people. Oh man, the poor native dude who gets stomped on. Damn, that looked like it hurt. It was all pretty dang cool. And then he chases after uh, the crew who's gotten back to the boats that they left, uh, um, that they took from their ship that waits out, you know, in the, in the ocean. And Kong comes up on the beach and they just start shooting at him and throwing gas bombs and it knocks him out. Which is like, why didn't you do that earlier? But... So bullets don't hurt it. It's massacred several people and they want to bring it back to New York alive. <sighs> White people. Also, they had to bring back a large ass monkey, half comatose. Kong after getting tranked is like me after having NyQuil. And how many times do they have to drug Kong? Denim is a total psycho. Denim says, Kong, the eighth wonder of the world, will be up in lights. And in the very next scene, it is just that. They cut immediately, which I think is kind of odd. They cut immediately from Kong kind of like passing out, fainting on the beach or whatever you want to call it, right? Getting knocked out by the gas. Fade to New York where he's in captivity and they're about to have the big press conference, the famous press conference or whatever, the, the reveal of Kong. I don't know. It just like, how did they keep him sedated that long? I mean, they didn't have transportation built for... They didn't come for Kong. They didn't even know Kong was on the island. I love the man complaining about the tickets being $20. (laughs) Because inflation. 
they would have had to build something to carry him and then transport him. I and mean, you can't just throw him on your ship. He's bigger than you. He's the size of your boat, if not bigger. The journalists look and talk like a bunch of gangsters. So presumably they had to, you know, trawl his ass. And how are you going to keep him unconscious for that long? There's, it's not like this island is off the coast of New York. You know, it, it's way out there. So like that, that's a pretty titanic undertaking. And how they how they did it is a mystery. But anyway, Kong's big reveal, you know, of course, everybody's aghast and, and in awe and they can't believe what they're seeing. Gotta love how Denim just glosses over the fact that 12 of his crew uh, died. And that the film's perspective has intentionally or not shifted to the King of Skull Island over the course of the film. Ugh, poor Kong. All the flash photography and the new environment and all these people, Kong gets freaked out very quickly and uh, rips his way out of captivity. And then he goes outside and... Starts killing folks and doing what he does. Oh, and then Kong escapes because of course he does. I was surprised how little of it took place in New York with like 20 minutes left in the movie. They get to New York and I was like, oh, I guess he does climb the Empire State Building. I was wondering, I'm like, maybe, maybe that comes from a later King Kong movie. But no, with 20 minutes left, he does make it to New York and he climbs the building and all that. Kong snatches Anne out of the window and lots of screaming ensues. That he saw Anne, and he kind of like knows that she's there, so he's looking for her. And he starts climbing the outside of the building, and <laughs> there's this really messed up part where this girl's sleeping. He crawls up, he sees that she kind of has the same dress, I guess, the nightgown or whatever, or he just sees woman, and he he reaches in and grabs her out of her sleep, upside down, and brings her out the window, and she's you know f- stories up, screaming in terror, has no idea what's going on. Kong kind of examines her, realizes this isn't the golden lady, and just drops her ass. <laughs> Uh, keeps climbing up, conveniently happens to come across the window in which uh, Jack and Anne are hiding out, reaches in and snatches her yet again. Why they would go upstairs in the same building instead of just getting in a cab or just running as far as possible, no idea. But that's what they chose to do, and it bit him in the ass. Kong beats up on a train for reasons. Kong looks for the tallest building to climb. Coolest moments. It could be anything from the the dinosaur fight. I guess for me it would be the the last, the final scene with the Empire State Building uh, because it is so iconic. And and there are some iconic moments throughout. The Empire State Building was first completed in 1931, standing at an incredible 1,250 feet. It was the tallest building in the world for nearly 40 years, uh, until the World Trade Center towers were constructed in the 70s, which were almost 500 feet higher. Today, the Empire State Building is only the 49th tallest skyscraper in the world, but is still the 7th tallest in New York. The tallest currently being the Burj Khalifa in Dubai, at an insane height of 2,717 feet. That's more than twice the height of the Empire State Building. Kong takes Anne and climbs to the top of the building. At this point, you know, the police, the military, everybody's been called. And uh, some, I'm not going to say jets, but biplanes, like fighter planes, uh, start flying around and, and peppering Kong with shots. And- but there's just something about that scene that uh, that works for me uh, that, I, that I've always enjoyed for whatever reason or another. Kong, of course, climbs the Empire State Building uh, and one of the most iconic shots in, I think, all of movies. They send some planes up to go shoot him down, which seems like not the best idea, especially considering that he has uh, a hostage. He's, you know, he can't really reach them because they're smartly staying out of his reach and he doesn't really have anywhere to go because he's on top of a building. You know, I used to get the Empire State Building and the Chrysler Building mixed up. Um, This plane scene is legitimately good. It's 
absolutely groundbreaking. Uh, so he's swatting at him, out of reach, getting frustrated. And as he's getting shot up, you can see it's like draining him and taking more and more out of him. And at one point, he kind of puts his hand on his bloody neck and examines it and looks kind of sad. And for a second, you feel bad for him. And you get the sad moment where he's, I guess he's in love with the girl. They're trying to be like, look, look how romantic, I think, is what they're going for. Uh, Then he picks up Anne one more time to kind of like look at his toy one more time, puts her down. And then kind of, I, I don't, I couldn't tell if he was reaching for her again after the next strafing run or if he was trying to, like, pet her. It was really weird. It was kind of loving. But, you know, I, I don't imagine his intentions for her were that great. And then he falls off the building, and it's it's so dramatic. I gotta admit, I feel bad for the murderous monkey. Uh, anyway, Kong tries again to stand up, but at this point, he's just lost too much blood. And, and he, you know, kind of, I don't know if he dies then and there or if he just faints. And then he bounces off the side of the Empire State Building, like, three times on the way down. But it cuts to a long shot. And he doesn't just fall off the building. He, like, pinballs down this thing. That scene where Kong falls off the tower and he's, like, hitting the building on the way down is brutal. He hits, like, three ledges and then just goes ragdoll. Now listen, that makes sense. That would happen if somebody fell from the point that he fell. But it looked cheesy and goofy as hell. And it cuts to his corpse on the street and the crowd surrounding him and... There's a moment of like, ah, look what man is wrought. Oh no, it wasn't the airplanes. It was Beauty Killed the Beast. In film, black screen, please leave the theater. It was Beauty Killed the Beast. You know, I think the sequel should have been Carl Denham uh, being arrested and tried for the events of the movie. I think for behind the scenes trivia, I just find it fascinating that they made King Kong and they were like, oh, this movie's great. Everybody's seen this movie. We need to make a sequel now in son of kong was made the same year so many reused assets and stuff but it was literally early 1933 as king kong then december 1933 of son of kong that blows my mind so yeah that's king kong i i really ended up liking it so all in all despite a lot of the uh problematic material in the movie which i think was sort of uh symptomatic of the time in which it was made if you look at it now it looks flawless i i don't know i'm amazed by it this movie is incredible it really is incredible if it was made 20 years after it was it would still be incredible the fact that this was made in 1933 is mind-blowing it's like the wizard of oz that level of 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 Filmmaking mastery with the the technologies and techniques available to them at the time. For a movie that doesn't have a lot of breathing room, I think this does a marvelous job of conveying everything you need to know and then some. I think a lot of this movie is just a critique of golden era Hollywood, but towards the start of the golden era of Hollywood, which makes it incredibly interesting. But that's a whole other discussion. Easily the best movie of the 1930s, in my opinion. I mean, it's crazy how good this is, how well it holds up. The romance definitely feels forced, but within the dialogue of the film, we learn that the lovers have been interacting for over six weeks. And only after a deadly experience does Driscoll shirk his armor and admit his love for Anne. The violence is shocking. It really is. It, it's it's pretty incredible that this was... I guess this was really considered a horror movie when it came out. Once they enter the forest on Skull Island, it's also non-stop monster action for both Kong and the crew. No man or thing has any real privacy or safety. 
within that movie, I, I guess seeing what was uh, capable at the time, even though I, even as a kid, uh, the 1976 version was out. But uh, this one was just as, you know, I just wanted more Kong, so I took Kong in any way that I could get it. This one in particular... As someone who's so obsessed with movie monsters and makeup effects, and I have all these books of horror movie makeup techniques, and I've done all this research into this stuff, Kong is still one of the best examples of a practical effect looking like it's alive. I never think that Kong isn't really there when I watch this movie. This also has so many great reveal scenes from people to creatures. There's so much great scenery and there's amazing blends of live action, stop motion and painted background all in one. The forced perspectives are marvelous and I still really love how foggy everything is on Skull Island. It was a smash success. It was a massive, massive success. As I researched this film for my own show, I came across a behind-the-scenes fact that brought a tear of joy to my face. While Kong was animated by the renowned Willis O'Brien, he was built and sculpted by Marcel Delgado, a Mexican-American man like myself who had been hired by O'Brien for his keen and artistic eye. Here at the beginning of my research into the beginning of my favorite film genre was a man who looked like me, who shared my heritage, and who was key in bringing it to life. To me, this movie is so much better and so much creepier than modern films with perfect vision and rendering. I'd never really noticed it before, but there's this odd correlation in the film between the boat crew and the islanders, which is exposed as soon as they reach New York. Arguably, the richest person on the boat is Denim, who seems to spend his money on whatever is needed for filmmaking. But when everyone sees Kong, they say how he's bigger than a house. The only real-world area we see is New York, which dwarfs the thing that dwarfs houses. Even the rich don't seem horribly impressed with Kong until he breaks free. The islanders and boat crew are impressed by Kong's size, while the rich are only focused on his aggression. Um, this movie still, it definitely paved the way for sci-fi movies for decades to come. It's the grandfather of all monster movies. The best ape movie ever filmed. I'm looking at you, Mighty Joe Young. It is, uh, I don't know, man. It's Kong. I don't know what else to say. We wouldn't have Star Wars without King Kong. For my full thoughts on King Kong, check out Record All Monsters, where we look at the history of giant monster movies as a narrative story, starting with this very film. It's a great way to beef up on your kaiju knowledge before Godzilla vs. Kong arrives in theaters and on HBO Max on March 31st. So on this season of Podcasters Assemble, we're going to be talking about, obviously, our, our big monkey friend, uh, as well as king of all the monsters, the great Gojira, um, or Godzilla, as we all call him. As of this movie, I think who would win between King Kong or Godzilla? Definitely Godzilla. Oh my god. At this point in the series, I'm going to say King Kong's got the lead. Godzilla's my boy. I think based on what I've seen so far, which is this movie, King Kong's going to win. Sure, Kong defeated some lizards, aka the worst T-Rex ever, but... I think, personally, that they really should... I think Godzilla should wipe the floor with Kong, personally. And I know some people, especially with the Kong-Godzilla debate of who's going to win, I've seen so many people throw so much hate toward Kong, but I think that's what makes him endearing to me, is in this situation... He's the underdog. I, I care a lot more about Godzilla than I do about King Kong. Uh, now, if we're talking the original Godzilla and the original Kong, 
I'd probably still vote for Godzilla. I've only seen one Godzilla movie in my lifetime, and it was the one where Inspector Gadget fights Godzilla in the 90s. I'm not counting that. I'm gonna I'm gonna pretend I'm coming in fully fresh. And right now I've seen just this King Kong. So of course this right now King Kong's gonna win the the, the battle of the monsters. He's the misunderstood. He's not trying to hurt anyone or he doesn't mean to. He's always kind of thrust in a situation where he is being put out of his element. I mean, everything on the island is trying to kill everything else. I don't know how their dinosaurs are still available if they're all trying to murder each other all the time. Before anybody showed up to Skull Island, he wasn't being bothered. He wasn't, he, you know, he lived peacefully with the, uh, the inhabitants of the island. And now people are just kind of sc- screwing with the ecosystem, as it were. So I think that's always, hell, that actually, I may have figured it out. He's just, he's the guy, you know, he's, he's being destroyed. He just wants to be left alone. And I get that as an old, old man, I'm, I'm getting that under, I just want to be left alone like Kong. I just want to live peacefully on my island in solitude and, and not be bothered by people. Uh, but damn it, they, they, they don't do it. But I think King Kong is ultimately going to win because he's the underdog. I know he's just a giant ape. Screw anyone who says otherwise. There's more to him than that. There's a lot of humanity. He's a great character. Now, the new ones where Kong's like the size of the actual building itself and not just standing on the top of it. The Kong Skull Island Kong, that'll be an interesting fight. I haven't watched the trailer. I've been trying not to watch trailers the past couple of years when I can help it. But I I can just tell. <laughs> I don't know. I've always loved this movie. Um, I'll continue to love this movie. And and more Kong that I can get, the better. The Battle of the Monsters? Is that, is that what it's called? Kong's going to win it. No doubt. I'm definitely excited to revisit the original Gojira. I don't know. I'm not a kaiju fan. I'm coming into this fresh-faced. I don't know what I'm in for. I'm scared. Kong will return in 2005's King Kong, and Godzilla will debut in 1954's Gojira. Godzilla, King of the Monsters, alive, surging up from the depths of the sea on a tidal wave of terror to wreak vengeance on mankind. It's alive! A gigantic beast, stalking the earth, crushing all before it in a cyclonic cavalcade of electrifying horror, raging through the streets on a rampage of total destruction. Wiping out a city of six million in a holocaust of flame. Jet planes cannot destroy it. Bombs cannot kill it. All modern weapons fail. Is this the end of our civilization? Can the scientists of the world find a way to stop this creature? You may wish to deny it, but your eyes tell you it's true. A tale to stun the mind. More fantastic than any ever written by Jules Verne. More terrifying than any ever shown on the screen. Awesome. Incredible. Unbelievable. A story beyond your wildest dreams. Dynamic violence. Savage action. Spectacular thrill. Gripping beyond compare. Astounding beyond belief. The mightiest monster of them all. See Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Podcast as a Symbol is a production of the We Can Make This Work Probably Podcast Network. Find more of our shows at probablywork.com and learn how to contribute to future episodes of Podcast as a Symbol by looking us up on Twitter and Instagram at Cast as a Symbol or joining on Discord. The link is in the show notes. Submissions are always open. Thank you to everyone who's able to contribute to this episode. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to where you can find them all online. Thank you. 
Oh, God, please, thank you. Music produced by Deft Stroke Sound. Opening narration written by Eric Slater and performed by Justin Aki. This episode was edited by Eric Slater. This has been a presentation of the We Can Make This Work Probably Network. Follow us on Twitter at Probably Work for more of our questionable content. Also, we have a website called probablywork.com. If you had asked me to gamble, I would have put money on Godzilla predating King Pong. And uh, they start climbing down one of the vines on the edge of the patio ledge thing. Um, sorry, Eric had to take a phone call there. And Ernest B. showed showed sack. Showed sack. You gotta love how Durnham. Yeah. Coolest moments. There's so many. I mean, we go to the uh, Empire Strikes. Uh, the love interest guy whose name I'm just blanking on, and I'm sure I'll remember halfway through this recording and be like, Steve! But he uh, uses this opportunity to come and grab Jack. That's it, Jack. If you had asked me to gamble, I would have put money on... Hello, I'm MC from the best animated shows ever so far, and this week we are watching the original King Kong. No, I'm not watching that. That movie is... Terribly racist. I'm going to skip this. I might come back when Ferris takes on Godzilla. So, uh, next time I think we're going to be talking about Godzilla or Gojira. And uh, I don't know where I'm going with this, Eric. Just cut this whole segment out, honestly, unless you find any kind of redeeming quality in it. Because uh, I'm rambling at this point. Um, All hail Kong. Podcasters, assemble! Pretend I caught Myong near in the middle of saying that.